The uh, elders arrived at the conclusion, please work with me on this, late Wednesday night that we needed to have this conversation tonight. Uh, then Thursday, the governor moved the goalposts by removing the mask mandate, and this led to further deliberations, and we came on Friday to the conclusion that this would be wise to just plow forward because of where we are in time. And all of this then reminds me of why I want to take the next sabbatical in the Swiss Alps, and then <laughs> nobody can find me. But uh, I love to find agreement on the scriptures. That is a joy, to lay that out and to say, this is what God has said, and to find that agreement is such a, is such a pleasure for all of us. It's not as fun to talk about things that are subjective, that are opinion, and that clearly divide. Uh, there are divisions with us, and I, every single pastor I've talked to, and this is a fair number, through this whole pandemic everybody's reporting the same exact things. So what we're going through as a church is, is not unusual. There is uh, pretty significant divides among all of God's people, and I think it's an opportunity for us to love each other, to work together through these matters. And we want to try to do that tonight. But again, uh, in some ways, this discussion would be far more uh, interesting, should I say, if it was not for what happened on Thursday. But here we are, and in some sense then, we're, I'm kind of, I have a document that I've put out here for you that you can take and pour over the words and think about it more carefully afterwards if you wish. That document was written about what we were going to do with the continuance of face masks mandates. So just know that. The, the document's outdated, but it lets you kind of know what we were thinking. And by the way, we... I speak for myself here. I do have the support of the elders. Don't blame them for any one line or thought necessarily. They may disagree on this or that, but I speak as an individual tonight, but certainly with their encouragement. With that document aside, I'm going to try to look a little bit more tonight at how we would see the thing if things were just like they were before Thursday, but also anticipating that mask mandates will be with us for the foreseeable future. They're coming back. We will be under them again, undoubtedly. If not, great, and we move forward. But I, I certainly anticipate that they will be. So the question here tonight is how should we mesh together governmental mass mandates with our God-given responsibility to obey the governing authorities? And how do we navigate differently calibrated consciences and differences of opinion in answering that question? So we're all familiar with Romans 1. Do I have, is this working? If you could get the slide up there or something, let me know. But uh, just considering uh, Romans chapter 1 together, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good." But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. 
Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. I ate lunch recently with a pastor from the United Arab Emirates. He shared with the table that the emir of the emirate where he lives issued a decree that churches provide the names and the contact information of all people attending the church. Now this is a a humble pastor. He's a godly man. He's been in position for some years. He's not someone looking to get in any trouble, certainly, but uh, filtering that command from the emir. Did he submit to the mandate? Did he give that information over? Now, as we think about that, the emir is the legitimate ruler of that emirate. He has full authority to issue such an order. The order was not connected to any known attempt to persecute the church. In fact, in this emirate, Christian churches, international Christian churches, have a fair degree of freedom, an unusual degree of freedom. Nor did the decree call upon the pastor to violate God's law in any way. So there was nothing evil about submitting that contact information to a ruler who asked for it. So did this pastor, what would you assume, did he turn that information over to the authorities? Would he violate Romans 13 by saying, I'm not going to do that? How would you decide? Well, as we think through these matters, we are ethically responsible to honor our governing authorities. That's a clear teaching of Scripture. The meaning of this paragraph is straightforward. There are no exceptions that are stated. But as we apply Romans 13 to our situation, we do need to consider the context, as we always do. And the context is not a a way around the obvious meaning, but it is something that we have to consider. First, politically speaking, the context is imperial. The emperor had wide latitude to issue any decree that he believed he wanted to issue. Now, there might be political kickback if he came up with some crazy idea, but he was an emperor, and he could decide pretty much anything that he wanted to decide. Now, also, we know in this setting that from earlier days in the Roman Republic and from the tradition of the Greeks, that there was a strong emphasis upon law and that society could only thrive under the rule of law. But this was, again, imperial Rome. It was not a Western democracy with a constitution. Secondly, I've highlighted some things here in the text. Notice the particular context that Paul has in mind. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Verse 3, Verse three to, that we are to do what is good. That's the context here. Verse 4, the authority is God's servant for your good. And verse 4, he carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. See there in verse 5 that it's, the, it, the, the intention here is to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. That is, our 
conscience, the law of the emperor echoes my conscience, which is telling me not to steal, not to murder, not to slander, destroy another person's property, but to do good in reflection to God's nature. So the context here is the good that the ruler intends. So although subtle, Paul clearly has in mind any edict of the emperor that he might happen to issue, but not anything that he might say. The law also echoes the judgment and the wrath of God as one who issues that which is good. So absolute blind obedience in all things that a governor dictates is never, has never been the practice of the Christian church. It has never been, and that's clear in some cases, such as our next point here. Obviously, there are times when we must disobey man's law in order to honor God. These cases are fairly straightforward, but our governing authorities have no right under the rule of the risen Christ, or even under the U.S. Constitution for that matter, to order us not to assemble as one body. Hebrews 10 grants us that calling from the risen Christ to gather as his people. Secondly, it does not, the governing authorities cannot tell us that we cannot share the Lord's Supper. You are, you are unable to do that. Uh, for we are commanded to do so in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Even from one common cup, if we want to take literally drinking from the cup, which has been the Christian tradition for many centuries, we've discarded that one, and I think we're all pretty happy with that. Uh, we don't have to do it from one cup, but we could, even if the authority said you cannot have the Lord's Supper, it would be nothing wrong for us doing so from one cup. The command not to sing. The emperor has no authority in that area, for the risen Christ has called us to do so. To greet one another with handshakes and hugs. That's the, our tr translation of the holy kiss. Whatever the greeting is, and if you're in France, I would say that the scripture directly says that you can greet one another with a holy kiss if you choose to do so. The governor cannot say you can't. Or that we not edify one another in person. Hebrews 3.13 and 10.24 and Ephesians 2 and the like. Or, well, just to say it simply, we must obey God rather than men, Acts 2.29, 5.29, in some things, in some matters. Now there's a qualification here that's important. As a church under the rule of Christ, we may deem it wise and God-honoring to suspend any one of those practices. Again, like I said, we don't drink out of one cup. We've chosen not to do that. That's fine. We may deem it's wise not to meet or that it's wise not to gather in one assembly. There's, there's nothing wrong with us choosing that. But when the governing authorities command that we not obey Scripture... We must obey God rather than man. And indeed, we've, we've done this in some sense. It, you remember, we got by with it without having to really press it, but in May of 2020, the governor said churches cannot meet. And we determined as a church we were going to meet. If you remember that, it was in that very week that he changed his mind. And uh, we're thankful that we didn't have to defy that order, but we had chosen to do so because he does not have the right to tell us not to meet. 
For this same reason, and this may enlighten some and be helpful to some, but for this same reason, we have not enforced social distancing or physical greetings between believers. Again, any believer's free not to touch someone else in greeting. Never, it's, not a, it's not a demand, but there is a calling from God to do that, and therefore we have not insisted upon that because of the commands of Scripture that indicate physical touch is an important part of our life together as a church. Again, we are free to set that aside. But a governor does not have the right under the rule of the risen Christ to tell us that we can't touch each other. We can't be in physical proximity to one another. Thirdly, does the governor have the right to issue then mask mandates and are we obligated to obey him as we put together those mandates with Romans chapter 13? I'm going to take a while to get to that answer, but work with me here. Everyone agrees that our governor has the right to impose emergency powers necessary for the protection and well-being of the citizenry. That's the Minnesota Constitution. That is a fair thing. Some of our members would respond by saying something like this to, uh, I'm not supposed to have that fourth point, but uh, sorry, there it is. Oh, I hit it by accident. Put it down. There we go. Some would answer this third, this third point, this question this way. It's a straightforward matter of obedience to Romans 13. The governor is seeking to do good by protecting lives, and only the lonely, loving thing for a Christian to do is to wear a mask as ordered. Choosing not to wear a mask is choosing to disobey God. There would be some, I think, that would, would check that as the bot. Yes, that's how I think about it. That's what I think is right. Everyone who holds this position would permit some nuancing. The governor himself has done so. Uh, applicable to younger children, people who might have anxiety, uh, not applicable to younger children, not applicable to people who might have anxiety attacks for reasons unknown, but I praise God for people standing on the platform. It's okay. So we all know there's, there's some that we would not, uh, there's some nuancing to that. But two comments first to those who hold this straightforward position. Romans 13 says obey, the governor says wear masks, we must wear masks or we disobey God. Comment one is I thank God for you. God increase your numbers, those who say I obey scripture even when it's difficult. I've invested much of my life seeking to persuade people that this is precisely how we should live our lives. Number two, I suspect that the majority of believers who hold this position are convinced that we have been entrenched in a crisis that demands emergency powers. So I suspect that there are few Christians who see no need to wear masks, yet strictly honor them, honor do wear them in obedience to Romans 13. Let me say it this way. My observation is that believers who strictly obey mask mandates are usually convinced that they are necessary. I, I, don't think that, I don't think anybody could push against that. I think that's usually the case. So come to me and tell me if you're one who says, I think these are useless, but I wear them all the time as asked by the governor in obedience to Romans 13. I think you'd be a pretty rare person. Uh, and, and, that, and that's great, but I, I think that's a matter to consider. With other members of our church, I've grown increasingly convinced that mask mandates fail to qualify 
as a human ordinance that we are obligated to honor in obedience to Romans 13. Now, this is a bad way to proceed, but I've got to make four qualifying statements before I defend that position. First, let me say it is painful to acknowledge that as I marshal this argument, some are likely to interpret my position as excusing disobedience to Christ. I think you know me well enough to know that that's painful. I want nothing more than for this church to honor Jesus. And I want no part of circumventing Scripture or molding it to my interests. And I look at what Romans 13 says, and it says that there is a serious responsibility here. I don't take that lightly. So those who differ with me, I ask that you just hear me out, and we will differ, that we can love one another, and I think there's a way forward. And I would encourage you to stick with it to the end, because I think there's a real way forward. But number two, I got four qualifiers. Here's the second. I believe this matter is more an issue of differently calibrated consciences and differences of opinion than it is a matter of those who want to obey Jesus and those who don't care about obeying Jesus. I, I suspect that there are some believers. I hope there's none among us, but there may be some who say, I don't care what Jesus says, but I don't think that's the case. I think on both sides of the differing opinion, there are people who want to obey Christ. So I, I just would humbly ask that those who believe mask wearing is a straightforward matter of obedience to Romans 13 to recognize that some of your brothers and sisters simply don't agree with that. Not because they want to disobey Jesus, but because there's another way of thinking through this. Thirdly, I would then ask those who agree with my position that you would be very careful to protect the conscience of those who believe we disobey God by ignoring a governor's mask mandate. Their conscience in this assembly is no small thing. There is a way of encouraging them to honor their conscience and a way of causing them to sin and even leading them into sin. And that needs to be a, a matter of great concern. So let us choose to encourage and not to tempt. Number four, such division is not insurmountable. Jesus bridged far greater gaps than our disagreements about mass mandates. And I think we've evidenced as a church that we know that, which is why we've sought to keep the gospel central and why we have continued to love one another even amidst our differences because we know he bridged a far greater gap. Further, while our situation is largely unlike Paul's address to the churches at Rome and Corinth, there are significant parallels. Members of these churches were wholly convinced, there were individuals in these churches wholly convinced that their brothers and sisters who were eating meat that had been offered to idols were sinning against God. And there were other members in those churches who knew they were not. Paul exhorted these members to receive one another. He did not say start another church, split from one another, set up these two different camps. He said love one another and respect one another. To those who said it's sin to eat meat, he said don't judge those who see it differently and whose consciences are calibrated differently. Do not judge them. 
And to those who said, I know that I can eat meat, I'm not sinning against Christ to do so, they were to love, respect, and receive, and never belittle those who thought differently. So I realize there's a massive difference between the setting in the ancient world, Romans and 1 Corinthians, and our setting here and the matter of mass. But I think there are some appropriate parallels of recognizing that within the Christian church there has always been matters of difference of conscience. Not with people who want to obey Jesus and those who don't, but with two groups of people who see it differently as to how to do that. We're experiencing that as a church. Just very different ideas about how to honor Christ. And I think this passage does give us an indication of how we should proceed. As for the one who's weak in the faith, welcome him. But not to quarrel over opinions. In this place, weak in faith is the one who would not eat meat offered to idols. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And I would ask each of you members of Eden Baptist Church, if there's another mandate that calls us to wear masks, as you make that decision, do so knowing that you will give account to Christ for what you do. This is not a small matter. This is not just a dumb little thing. It's significant because we have a governor's word, we have the Lord's word, and how we put those two together is challenging. We come out at different places. The apostle exhorts then the church to permit room for these fairly widely held opinions and to love one another through them. He did not instruct the meat eaters to cease and desist from eating meat offered to idols. Now, they were to do that, if by doing so, they led someone to violate their conscience. But that means they are tempting someone to disobey God in their conscience. So that would be, for instance, saying, oh, take that off. You don't need to wear that. When someone's conscience is saying, I must, to obey Christ, we need to be very careful and tender there toward the conscience of others. He did exhort them. Uh, he did exhort them to follow their conscience and to protect the conscience of one another. So we must then love those who differ on mass. There's no place for judgmentalism. There's no place for cliques. Let me say it again. There's no place for judgment, and there's no place for cliques. We shouldn't be banding together around masks or not masks. That's not. And I don't, I don't think that's a problem, but I just to say uh, that point by way of warning, we need to be careful there. Number four, the case for resisting future mass mandates with a clear conscience. Again, a quick sidebar. If we were to strictly follow the protocols 
of the governor to this point. So I'm kind of looking back now, and some may be saying, why have we been so loose in some areas? If we had strictly followed the protocols, we would still not be meeting. Not as one. There'd be no way to do it in our setting, unless it was outside or something like that. The social distancing protocols, which are equally a part of the governor's mandate as masks, would have prohibited us from gathering as a church until just recently. And when I say gathering as a church, that's gathering as one. We can choose to not gather as one if we think that's wise, but the mandates would not permit us to gather as one until just maybe this week depending on how you interpret that. But why have we? From the very outset, why have we dismissed that aspect of the mandate? And the reason is that so many of Christ's commands to us as Christians are rendered virtually impossible if we observe a strict six-foot distance from one another. We can't do many of the things Jesus has called us to do. Again, we can say it just has to be. But when we're hearing a, a, a governor under the authority of Christ telling us not to do the things Jesus has called us to do, we've said, no, we need to do these things. And so physical touch, we have not said you can't do that or you have to be literally somebody was using those little noodles that they have in the swimming pools and you know walking around because that keeps you six feet apart we haven't handed out noodles at the door and said you got to be that far apart if we have reason to greet one another with handshakes and hugs if we have freedom in christ to drink from one communion cup, if we have reason to sing to one another, despite orders to the contrary, then we have just cause under the rule of Christ to dismiss social distancing rules. And we have. But one should not start a defense with what is perceived to be the weakest points, but I'm going to do that and leave the third point as the stronger point, I think, here for last. But here's, here's a case that I would lay out for those who differ with me, who have a different calibrated conscience on these matters. I just ask that you would hear, hear me out in this matter. First, masking faces exacts a severe toll on the relational and spiritual calculus of human flourishing. When we read in Scripture the phrase, before the presence of the Lord, the Hebrew text often reads more literally, before the faces of the Lord. Made in God's image, we have many faces. An array of expressions that help one human being communicate with another. We cannot veil this God-given means of communication and community without negative consequences. It's impossible they need this develop our children learn to speak they learn to read people to a significant degree by seeing faces they need this developmental opportunity they need it in church not merely in the confines of their home or with their closest friends every masked adult that our children meet in the church represents a lesson lost to them and an opportunity lost to the rest of us 
I'm convinced that an incalculable loss is suffered by erasing, affirming smiles, an array of other noble messages communicated with our faces. Our children are hurt by masks, and they are uniquely so, as are adult members who live alone and who have difficulty hearing. Me. I've not caught lots of conversations. It's not the end of the world. If it's protecting people, these are things we need to consider. We can debate the efficacy of masks all day long, and every one of us can issue a document from an authority that says they're useless or they are absolutely essential. Every one of us can find those documents. But those who deem them highly protective, in or, uh, highly protective necessities in order to restrain the pandemic must calculate the relational and the spiritual costs related to masking our mouths month after month after month. The swath of scientists who promote masking have exerted undue influence, in my opinion, by their narrow focus on the well-being of the outer man. They have been permitted to do this, I don't know why, but at the expense of the ballast that experts may have provided whose focus centers more on the inner man. Spiritual leaders, counselors, psychologists, social and mental health workers, why they have been set aside in considering the the needs of the inner man, I don't understand, but it's been the case. There is more to human health than physical health, and our faces are a vital part of that equation. None of the above even begins to address the negative implications of training our children to judge future risk-taking by the narrow calculus currently fueling the mask mandate, or that has to this point. The fear we are instilling as a culture into our children is a worrisome matter to some of us. I don't think we should dismiss that. But secondly, that, that's not a point of any thing that you can, it's not a, you can't hang a lot on that. But it's something to consider that just isn't out there in the media. Secondly, mass mandates have become more political positioning than physical necessity. And here I'm probably, again, speaking more like from Tuesday or Wednesday than from Thursday and following. But last Sunday, tens of thousands of churches, tens of thousands of churches met without mass mandates. Churches in each of the states bordering Minnesota, Wisconsin, South Dakota, North Dakota, Iowa, were all free of mass mandates, have been for a long time. If Democrats held the legislative sway in Wisconsin, there would be mass mandates in Wisconsin. The Supreme Court struck it down. If Republicans held the legislative majority in Minnesota, our governor's mandate would have been dropped a long time ago. COVID-19 death rates in these surrounding states all around Minnesota are no different than ours. It's not that you can look at those that have met all these months without masks and the death rate is spikes compared to Minnesota. It just isn't the case. The fundamental issues distinguishing Minnesota from her neighbors at this stage of the pandemic are owing to politicization of science. No one is listening to the science. Everyone 
is listening to the scientists that tell them what they want to hear. And that includes me. And I can show them to you. I can show you Harvard. I can show you Stanford. I can show you epidemiologists. I have the documents. I like those documents. And if you disagree with my position, you've got your documents from similarly qualified scientists. We're all listening to the scientists that are saying what we like to hear. I think we just have to face that. Take a map of the United States, 25 states with mask mandates, 25 states without. Just go over that. Now, that may not be since Thursday, but go back a few weeks, and you can pretty much predict who lands where. There's a few states that they're a little confusing, but for the most part, there's political lines that connect it all. But more significantly than these two points, by far to me, is that the emergency aspect of the governor's emergency powers is suspect if not unconstitutional. The governor of our state is subject to the law of the Constitution of Minnesota and to the Constitution of the United States. The governor has the right to impose emergency powers in certain situations, but the persistent charge of the Minnesota State Majority Leader, Senate Majority Leader and his colleagues has been that the current circumstances do not qualify for the imposition of such powers. Now, the fact that they are dismissed by the majority party does not mean that they're wrong. Before returning to that point, I believe the governor has himself proven that we are not in a situation demanding emergency powers apart from the normal legislative process. What do I mean? Our governor attended a funeral on March 22, 2021. He gathered in a jam-packed church for a lengthy church service at which he stood in close proximity to maskless people and sang with a congregation led by a maskless choir who stood shoulder to shoulder. This parallels the jam-packed funeral that he attended in May of 2020 when he sang with a largely maskless congregation under the mandate he himself had recently issued imploring churches not to sing. Now, hear me, the governor's hypocrisy is no justification for our disobedience to Scripture. His hypocrisy does not justify our disobedience to Scripture. But if he does not obey his own orders, is it really an emergency? If he had said, if he had boycotted these two funerals, and said, you must not meet, you cannot meet, this is dangerous to do so. I want to be there for political reasons, but I will not come because you are risking the health of these people. He didn't do that. I think it's a strong indication that he doesn't maybe believe his own emergency orders. His actions prove this, I think, to some degree. But more objectively, Far more objective. That's just anecdotal. That doesn't mean anything ultimately. Again, we are responsible to Romans 13, not to the consistency of our governor. I'm just saying that that just indicates, if it's expediency that can derail the emergency, then it's really not much of an emergency. But that said, I think the far more objective issue is jurists who are arguing that the pandemic does not constitute an act of nature 
but qualifies only as a public health emergency. Now, why is that important? The significance of this distinction is that the Minnesota's Constitution does not grant the governor the power to issue executive mandates during a, quote, public health emergency. He is not granted emergency powers under a public health emergency. Our governor is subject to the Constitution of Minnesota. He's not over it. He can't decide to do things differently than what that Constitution says. We are a nation ruled by law. Yet he is, in, yet he is acting in violation of it. Minnesota Constitution, Section 6, Section 12.31, Subdivision 2, ironically amended in 2005 removed the phrase public health emergency from the list of just causes for the issuing of emergency powers. So how is this emergency power exercise? It is exercised under this phrase of an act of nature, which was in authorial intent always meant to be a tornado, a flood, Something along those lines. That's an act of nature. But now the act of nature is a virus. And the virus is not being treated as a public health emergency because he doesn't have the power to issue such a motion under the public health emergency. This leads to the even larger question some jurists are raising. Does the U.S. Constitution grant, the governors, grant governors the power to restrict religious gatherings? What is your perception of Michigan? I think the perception of Michigan would tend to be that this is a state that has followed stringent protocols. And yet every executive mandate by the governor of, Mi of Michigan has explicitly exempted churches from all protocols. Now, why is that? It's not because the governor is a radical right-leaner. It is because the governor of Michigan understands that the United States Constitution exempts churches from emergency orders that exert control over free assembly. I've talked to a pastor in Michigan. He says the line is at the bottom of every mandate. Churches exempted. Because she understands the Constitution. The fact that our governor is either ignorant of the U.S. Constitution or however he would justify calling a pandemic an act of nature and not a public health crisis does not negate our freedoms as a church. I'm not a lawyer, not an attorney. I'm not going to argue this before the Supreme Court. I'm just sharing my opinion. All right, so it's not worth a lot. But I think there are some very significant reasons for us to question this emergency. So by summary, because of the detrimental effects that masks do have, because they are because there are respected scientists who question their efficacy with statistical evidence, because the current situation falls below the threshold of a society-wide emergency in any normal conception of the word, 
and most significantly because of the unconstitutionality of the governor's mandates, I've come to see mask wearing as far from a straightforward matter of obedience to Romans 13. I highly respect those who disagree, who seek to honor the Lord this way. Please honor the Lord this way. Do not let me sway you. I don't want to sway you. But I think this matter, in my mind, is now more in alignment with Paul's resistance to the Roman authorities who were going to flog him against the law. And I think that we have an imposition of powers that are not constitutional. I think a clear case can be made. I think there's a frightened nation that does not know what we're really doing or how to respond to this kind of thing. I am not saying that it would be wrong for us to wear masks as a church if we chose to do that, or not to meet for that matter if we chose to do that. But I think this is more akin to Paul's resistance. I think it's more akin to Jesus' resistance to the legalistic Sabbath laws the Jewish authorities sought to impose upon him. It was more of a willingness to think through those matters than to simply concede to them. So as the governor is imposing powers the U.S. and Minnesota constitutions do not grant him, as he is issuing emergency orders that bypass the normal legislative means of lawmaking per our Article Three separation of powers in Minnesota, I do not believe one is violating Romans 13 if with clear conscience he or she can dismiss uh, and will dismiss a future mandate. I don't think that it's a direct disobedience to Scripture to do so. It may be, if your conscience is informing you that you must honor Romans 13 by doing whatever the governor tells you to do, then you need to do it. And I don't want to have any part of, pers- of uh, swaying you in another direction. So if you disagree with my conclusions and you wear masks in obedience to Romans 13 in the future, I will bless you and rejoice with you that you are honoring God and heeding your conscience. Well, where do we go from here? I'm very thankful that the mass mandate was lifted last Thursday. I'm just thankful that we don't have to consider that matter. I have no desire to do anything but to honor our governor. I'm thankful for him. I think he's handled things well in many respects. And I'm I'm thankful for that. I want to be a faithful citizen of this state. But as we look forward in anticipation of the next mandate, I realize just how alarming what I've said here tonight will be for some of you who have differently calibrated consciences and believe indeed that others should be protected by wearing masks. But before returning to that point, um, I have firmly held positions about America's utter failure of leadership from the very top down in this pandemic. Who am I? I'm not in that position, and I don't know that I'd do any better, but I think we have been deeply failed by the leadership of this nation, and we have blindly followed the blind. We've witnessed a major systemic failure from start to present. We can't do anything about that. But coming to the environment of this church, laying that matter aside, I believe we can act in the future to order the environment of our church to provide equal 
and even better safety measures than in the past. I'm hopeful we can satisfy those who are concerned to avoid the virus, while at the same time permitting those who have been vaccinated, those who have attained natural immunity, as well as those who have no particular concern or fear, just doesn't ripple their monitor, uh, to be relieved of worrying about masks. I believe we can do this by simply shifting away from an environment where everyone is mandated to wear masks in order to protect others and to move to the kinds of masks that allow us to protect ourselves. So if and when the next mandate is issued, I believe, and we'll decide at that point where we need to be, we may not meet. We may meet in two or three times and because we believe it's necessary. We're free to do that. But the next time that a mass mandate is issued, I believe we have biblical rounds to push back against it as Paul resisted flogging as Jesus refused to work with those who sought to impose legalistic laws on him by saying this. First, all who wish to wear cloth masks to protect others are warmly welcome to do so. Encouraged to do so. If you believe by wearing a cloth mask that you're protecting others, please do that. Please do it without thinking at all. Negatively or being self-conscious we bless you. Second, all who wish to wear N95 masks to protect themselves are warmly encouraged to do so. You will put a lot of people at ease, some of you, particularly those that are elderly or with underlying health problems to wear an N95 mask, as some of our elderly people with underlying health problems have been doing. They are protecting themselves from an environment that is concerning. We would bless that and encourage that. And then thirdly, all who have a clear conscience not to wear a mask may do so with the knowledge that those who are concerned or vulnerable are encouraged to protect themselves in the unique environment of our assembly. And by protecting themselves here, they will be even better positioned to not take that home to someone else for whom they're concerned. I think with that simple change of focus and environment, we can actually accomplish more and work just as well in protecting one another. So if someone comes in among us and gets, a, I mean, gets the virus, I think half the church or better, maybe three-quarters has had this virus. Uh, but if someone would come in and get this virus, and it would be a very serious situation, we can know that there was a choice not to protect myself. I willingly take on that risk to walk into this environment, to walk into this world, knowing that everyone's not going to be wearing a mask, but I've chosen not to wear an N95 mask. I take that risk knowingly, willingly, and we move forward. But what this will do is change the environment so that we're not... Con I, I, for me, to be honest, mask wearing is all about somebody else. And that's not a bad thing. But we can be relieved of that if we know that everyone is encouraged warmly to protect themselves if they need to do so. I, I understand there'll be some who will really disagree with that, and if that's not the direction of the governor, that's not the right way to do it. But I do think within the controls of this building, within the controls of our uh, other gatherings as church, 
that this will be very effective. You protect yourself from an environment that is potentially uh, dangerous for you. And for those then who do not wear a mask, they're choosing to not do so. And we can know where everyone is at. And, 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 and I wanted to say one more time, if we ever get to that place and there are those that come in wearing N95 masks to protect themselves, we bless them, encourage them, indeed in some ways thankful for the fact that they're doing so. And again, if it's, if it's the other kind, have at it, feel free. So did the pastor I mentioned in the introduction share the information that he was ordered to share with the emir? Did he hand over the information to the governing authorities? He did not. And he did not do so by dismissing Romans 13. But by considering the context of that passage, the words good connected to conscience... He discerned in that setting that it was not wise for him to comply. That there was no good that was going to come out of that. Now, I'm not paralleling his situation with ours, but I'm saying this is a fairly common matter for Christians to always be considering where does Romans 13 apply and where does it not. I think you would be off track if you said whatever a governor says is always the will of God. We know that's not the case in some clear cases, but I'm suggesting that it's not always as clear-cut as we may think that it is. It was hard for him, but he decided not to turn over that information, that no good would come of it. Again, there was no persecution involved at this point, it was a legitimate request, but he chose not to do so. And I think that he honored the Lord and his conscience in, do, in making that hard call. Now, one note, and, I, and I've, I've run across this idea from a number of people, just as we close. I sincerely wish that we would be granted the opportunity as a church to grieve as if this was a senior citizen crisis, which it truly is. Countless numbers have died, if not from COVID, at least with COVID. It has taken the life of many sooner than they would have died. And I, I think that is a crisis, that is a grief that is something we don't dismiss. And I, I would very much challenge anybody who just says, this is no big deal. A lot of people have died. And we have people in this church who have lost relatives to this disease. I've said this at the beginning as well. If our church, like a church I've read about, had lost 13 members, or like another church that I've heard about that lost its senior pastor and his eldest son, we would be thinking differently about this. And I wish that we had the opportunity to rightly grieve this crisis for our elderly. The problem is that the crisis for the elderly has been pushed upon our children, has been made their crisis, and has been made everyone else's crisis in a way that I think is very suspect. So rather than seeing COVID as in this way, as a senior citizen crisis that uh, touches also some outlier individuals that are younger, certainly, 
that we have been so riveted by the state responding as if this crisis is so vital or, or, or should be calibrated such as to shut down schools, to end livelihoods in a vast array of other ideas that just have to be questioned as to their wisdom and efficacy. Because of that, it turns our thoughts away from the crisis that really is here. So let's not lose sight of it, that there are people dying, there are people at risk, this is a serious issue. And may we be found grieving the loss of those who within our own assembly have lost family members. All, so I hope that makes sense. But, but looking at the way in which this thing has hit every aspect of society should not turn us away from the fact that there is, a, there is an issue here. It may not be the issue our leaders see, the issue this world should be seeing, but may, may we not think lightly of those who have entered into eternity without Christ because of this disease. And may we so respect one another. As I mentioned, there's a document that I've written. It's going to have a lot of the information here tonight, but it's put in a different way, in a different logical sequence. There's a few other nuances that are there. There's a few of the facts that you might want to access. You can read that. Eden Baptist Church, be kind to me, please. Don't put that on the internet. Don't post this somewhere on social media or this or that little clip. Um, I, I know we're bigger than that, but this is a conversation for our family. Uh, I, I'm not opposed to someone reading that document, but just realize there's a lot at risk there. Uh, we are not trying to get the attention of the governor and, and make him angry with us or the authorities or the like, but I'm just saying that there is a, there is a king in heaven, there is a family of God that we have here, and there is an environment that I think we have the right to strive to control our way. And so perhaps, if this comes back again, we'll do so with an orientation toward N95 masks and a protection of oneself as opposed to the thought that we can protect everyone else. I trust we'll always be able to meet together, that we'll always be able to meet as one. That will be the goal. But again, we'll have to be wise as we pursue that in the future.